Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of Positive Aging Sourcebook. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging and longevity. Today, we discuss the future-proof trends from the recent International Council on Active Aging Forum with three thought leaders in the field of senior living. Uh, Our first is Colin Milner, who's the CEO and founder of the International Council on Active Aging. And then we've got Roger Laundrie, who is the author of Live Long, Die Short, and also president of Masterpiece, and Amanda Boshi, the Associate Managing Director of Operations at Masterpiece. This was a great thought-provoking conversation with lots of audience participation and feedback. So let's jump in to the conversation. Would love to do now is welcome our panel. And uh, you can see their pictures on the screen there. I'm going to take that off and ask them to bring their actual images on the screen. And um, uh, welcome. Uh, well, I'm, I'm thr- thrilled that I read this wonderful for wonderful article that referenced the three of you about a month or so on the five trends for senior living. And uh, because when I read it, I was like, wow, this would make a great discussion. Uh, and um, so I'm really glad that uh, you guys made time to, to join us today. Let's, uh, let's get to know you first, uh, each of you first and your organizations that you represent, and then we'll jump into this discussion. Um, I, I'll start with uh, Colin first. Um, Colin, you're the uh, CEO and founder of the International Council on Active Aging. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about the council. Whoops. Oh, unmute. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I was just seeing if you were paying attention. That's yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, first off, thanks for having uh, me on the uh, on the call, Zoom uh, webinar. We call it all different things nowadays, don't we? Uh, the, the webinar, the show, the whatever, whatever it is. Um, you know, I myself have been in the health and wellness field now for 40 plus years. Um, I know you couldn't tell, but um, uh, and literally over the last 20 years, we formed the International Council in Active Aging that is now in 57 different countries with one simple goal, and that is to help change the way we age, because the reality was back then and still today, many of us uh, are not aging well. So our goal is to provide the education, information, resources, and tools and leadership to help individuals that are within the uh, area of working with older adults on their health and well-being with the the support that they need to do that uh, well. And, um, you know, that's, that's really, it's as simple as that to, uh, changing the way we age, of course, impacts everything and everything impacts it. So um, I'm a specialist and a generalist at the same time. Great. And uh, the, uh, it sounds like you got a little bit of an accent. Where are you based out of? Uh, well, I'm in Vancouver, but I'm a nomad. You know, I was born and raised in Jamaica. I've lived in California, um, but I'm in Vancouver. 
And I hope you're not going to be embarrassed if I say you really resemble Drew Carey, but you're, I think you're better looking. Well, you know, and, and I agree with you on that point. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, okay. So now let's, uh, let's, let's jump to our other two panelists. And I got right below uh, Colin on my screen is uh, Roger Landry, uh, uh, Dr. Roger Landry author of uh, Live Long and Die Short, and you're president of Masterpiece. So you got a lot of stuff that you can share with us. Tell us a little bit about your background. And um, I'm curious to learn about your, the organization that you lead, Masterpiece. Well, sure, happy, Steve. Thanks for having us. It's an honor, uh, honor being on with these panelists. I work, of course, with Amanda, and she'll talk a little bit more about Masterpiece. But um, I, I'm a preventive medicine physician, and my career has been sort of circuitous and uh, took some walks in the road I never expected. But I spent a career in the military as a flight surgeon. Uh, we basically uh, want to uh, keep flyers of uh, healthy and performing at their best and, and literally crashing. And now I'm figuratively helping people so that they don't crash uh, as we age. Uh, we... Uh, uh, Masterpiece started about just around the time uh, Colin was doing his thing. We were we were in this thing together. He's he's a very uh, accomplished entrepreneur. My brother is more of the entrepreneur, and I went along the ride with him. Uh, we started about twenty years ago with Masterpiece Living. It was called, and uh, that spawned from the MacArthur Foundation study on aging. My brother was with the MacArthur Foundation at the time, and uh, sharing a cab ride with one of the board members, Jonas Salk. Uh, he was stimulated to, uh, to, to put the, the, what they had found, namely that lifestyle is the major determinant, which is mainstream now, but at the time, it was pretty avant-garde, uh, and, and to, uh, to, uh, to put that into practice. And so we began that, a lot of discussions, and we started Masterpiece uh, just about 20 years ago. And it has evolved over time, where uh, we, we partner with communities, senior living communities. That was Jonas's recommendation that we at least begin there. Our desire, of course, is to reach everybody at last. And uh, we're now uh, have evolved to a point where kind of, I don't know if you're a techie, we're kind of like Scotty, you know, more power Scotty. So a community that's looking for more power in their, in their wellness initiatives, uh, we partner with them. And that power comes across as content, very sophisticated content at all levels, meeting the individual where they need it, where they are. Uh, along with the ability to assess their lifestyle and find out what their needs are, uh, data to track what they're doing and uh, see how they're doing, and for the community to know how they're doing in some element of coaching. We've, uh, we've partnered with over 100 communities, so although I haven't uh, worked as closely as Amanda has, my colleague within senior living, I certainly have spent a lot of time in senior living, and uh, I, I believe that the, the future is very bright. Wow. Um, this is, uh, this is pretty interesting. So, uh, well, Amanda, uh, do you, I, I've got a few questions about Masterpiece, but let's learn a little bit about you first. And then if you can elaborate a little bit on, um, Dr. Landry's on how you deliver this, um, service to your partners. Sure. Well, thank you. My name is Amanda Bosky, and I've worked specifically with Masterpiece for seven years. And then before that, I worked for a client of Masterpiece for five years. So working a lot uh, with that product. 
And I, I owe a thank you to Colin because uh, without the invitation to be a part of the forum, we probably wouldn't be here on the call today. So thank you for that invitation My to be pleasure. a part of that. <laughs> um, and, and was there anything else that you'd ask? Yeah, just, um, okay. So it sounds like you guys are providing um, health and life enrichment to senior living communities. Um, can you just, I, we could probably spend the whole hour on it, but just can you sort of share with me what that looks like? Like uh, Amanda, you had mentioned that you worked at a community that was a client of Masterpiece. So what exactly were you, was that community getting from Masterpiece? Oh, there's all kinds of things that you get. I'd say the, the big point that you get is the data and measurement, specifically around lifestyle and then mobility as well. Uh, and then we were able to use that to work specifically with individuals to provide lifestyle coaching and identify areas of growth for the individuals. And then also to provide aggregate data based on lifestyle for organizations so that they are able to make decisions about programming, or it could be really anything. You may see from your data that there's low fruit and vegetable consumption. So it may be a change that you make in your dining services as well. So the data and measurement is a huge piece. The coaching is a huge piece. And then we have a lot of content that supports that specific, the specific measurements that we're tracking. Wow. Um, I tell you what, I will... Um... I think I'm going to have you guys back on uh, and we'll maybe like dive into sort of a demo because uh, uh, I've got questions and actually I, I see that Ravi, he's got a question there. We'll address that, address that shortly, but um, uh, sounds like a very interesting platform and uh, anytime we can use data to better serve the, the people we're serving, especially in senior living communities, that's awesome. But today... The topic is, um, and, and, and Colin, because it, it sounds like this, this topic of the five trends in senior living for 2021 was born out of a forum that, that your organization organized. Um, tell us a little bit about that forum, and then let's just jump in with what these five trends are and, and have a good discussion around it. Sure. So, you know, for the last uh, probably 18 years, we have held two think tanks a year uh, with the, you know, organizations that are within senior living to really try and guide the industry in new and interesting directions or to reinforce directions that we are currently going. Uh, you know, over the past few years, we've seen a huge shift that has taken place. You know, everybody's trying to figure out what their model is, whether it's, um, you know, villages, communal living, active adult communities, memory care, you know, on and on and on. They're all tiny homes. There are all these different models that are coming out. But one, one of the things that has come uh, front and center in the middle of the pandemic is how do we actually future-proof these models so they are sustainable no matter what model you have? So we put together a group of over 70 uh, key thought leaders from the industry who came together to look at what that would take. And, uh, you know, they came up with really five key areas that we needed to focus on. Uh, but before we even focused on those five key areas, the question really was, 
what the heck does community mean in the first place? Especially today in the midst of the pandemic where people are uh, you know, broadening their reach through technology, does community now involve the whole world and not just a gated area? So you know, it all started off with unpacking that term community and looking at you know, what maybe a model would be moving forward. And, but no matter what your model is, the question is, how do you make it resilient so that in whatever face of adversity we uh, have, we will be able to not only survive, but continue to thrive? I think a lot of people have put their finger on the pause button and rapidly. Uh, and you know what we've seen because of that is some significant downsides as well, things like social isolation, uh, diminished cognitive abilities, uh, you know, diminished physical function, and on and on and on. You know, this is to try and help mitigate that by taking your finger off the pause button, uh, button and implementing these different five uh, trends. And, you know, they're pretty straightforward. They're not very complicated it's implementing them that is the key, you know, and we've been talking about many of these for a long time, whether it is, uh, you know, the built environment, whether it is wellness, whether it is, you know, uh, our staffing, whether it is, um, you know, the, the workforce and technology. I mean, all of these different things are not new. It's what we do with them that is new and interesting and innovative. And I think if we remember two words as we think about these and enter our discussion today, there are only two things that people want. Somewhere that they can live that they can aspire to and aspire to a better life and aspire to uh, proper care if needed and access. They want to be able to access the services that they want. They want to be able to access their community at large and so forth. So as we look forward, looking at aspiration and access within all of this context, I think will hold us in good stead. Man, you really, uh, you threw a bunch of uh, ideas out there that I know the audience is going to love because it, it was helpful to me. A few of the things that you sort of threw out with community, it's sort of these, these, these events that we have right now, they used to be live events. And, yes. you know, before the pandemic, we thought the only way that you could connect with community was at, you know, a church or a hotel or what have you. And, and it's amazing how we can connect now and how convenient that is. But the other thing that I really like that you said is sort of this, I, I forgot the actual phrase, but it's future proofing is, yeah. uh, that is so important because we all got caught in this COVID thing, yes. we it made us realize that the world can radically change. And if we're not ready to respond quickly, uh, our finger really does get stuck on that pause button, you know, and then you become paralyzed and you're not progressing and moving forward. And our clients are the ones that suffer. So I'll shut up and let you guys keep going, but I, but I love what you're sharing. You know, if I could add to that, you know, there, there's a, one of my favorite uh, quotes is from Charles Darwin. 
And, um, you know, I mean, I'm not a, someone who reads a lot, reads a lot of poetry and all of this kind of stuff. But this one stuck in my mind, and that is, uh, especially in the midst of the pandemic, and that is, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, not the most intelligent that survives. It's the one that is the most adaptable to change. And I think that that's where we are today is, you know, we can struggle and we can complain about it, but we have no choice but to adapt. And I know that, you know, Roger's team is certainly helping, uh, you know, their communities adapt in interesting and unique ways as well. Yeah, I'd like to chime in on this, particularly, I, I certainly agree with everything. I usually do, Colin, with you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, on, on the whole topic of resilience, because I think that uh, this pandemic has acted uh, as an accelerant to everything that is happening out there. I think the changes within senior living have been accelerated because of uh, the, the uh, COVID acted as a lens on us. And I think if you look at a community as residents, associates, bricks and mortar and everything, and you know, certainly the operators, the, uh, the, the resilience breaks down to, to the end of the residents, their ability to, to take this change to, and life's changes, and, and aging is something where curveballs are being thrown at you all the time. And the associates, we've seen the associates put under tremendous stress that they had not seen before. And, uh, and so the resilience that, uh, that they need and what will it take to get that? We've, we've learned a lot. But then again, the, uh, the operators and the organizations and the systems, their, their resilience, their ability to pivot. And, and that's tough if you have a tradition that goes back a century <laughs> in many cases of how this is done. And uh, with the demographic that's coming, it's a, it's a tidal wave, it's a tsunami really, and, and what they're like and what they want, man, that's just going to blast everything. You talk about a curveball for the, for the, uh, the whole industry, that is coming, that is, uh, and, and I know that Amanda, you're, you're talking to the communities and they're kind of, their heads are spinning and you get to talk to them firsthand, so I'm sure you've been hearing this. You're on mute. Uh, I'll, I'll just share a couple of thoughts that came up. Um, when I was participating in the forum, one of the things that they did is they had us uh, review an article. So mine was in the group that I was about, I think it was about a, the sinking of a ship um, and how that related to what's going on. So when I think about the pandemic, what well, one of the things that comes to mind is about a year before all of this happened, we had hurricanes in Texas and Florida. And it, it threw everyone for a loop. But what I saw among the, the people that I work with is everyone who works in senior living, you know, pulling up their sleeves and getting involved. And I think I've seen that, you know, when it's a snowstorm when I lived in Michigan or a flood that someone experiences, whatever it is, I think that, that the people who work in senior living and impact it are really, really creative people. Um, and that's one of the, the things I reread the, the white paper last night or just the, the problem solving that can come from everyday frontline people is so important. And I think that, you know, if we're thinking about future proofing senior living, if you can use that creativity, it's gonna be such a, such a different world, senior living, all that creativity that exists among the residents and 
teams that work among senior living. Yeah, and, and I think Roger said the word of the year, uh, and that is pivot. Um, you know, we've all had to pivot, but one of the things that we have maybe not thought as much, or we have, uh, everybody's different, and that is that we've also had to pivot on our brand promise. Our brand promise has been, you know, you move in and you will live a better, longer life. And today, the new brand promise is you will live a safer, better, longer life. Um, and we're having to reimagine what that is and how are we going to help moving forward uh, people to actually reclaim their lives. To me, that's a big thing. You know, what do we need to do to help people to reclaim their lives and for the communities to reclaim their brand promise? Yeah. I, I totally um, agree, Colin. I got a um, uh, really good question. I'm just going to throw out there if you guys want to address it now, that's, that's great. But it's uh, Sant Gupta says, someday the pandemic will disappear say the end of 2021, let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, do you think that life will revert to pre-pandemic modes? In what ways will senior living change permanently? If I could jump in, I, I hope absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> normal in the sense that we can do all the things we love and eat and everything. But if we go through this experience unchanged, uh, that is a catastrophe and it, it, it would it would be such a waste and because again I said everyone's been saying it's kind of an accelerant so we've had the opportunity to fast forward here and and it's coming you know and uh, you know the threats the disasters what what uh, what is most important in our brand promise what is what are people really looking for? And we should match those, our promise and what they're looking for. And, and no, if we don't learn from this and make some significant radical changes, then uh, we've missed the boat. I also think if I could chime in there, Roger, and that is that, you know, uh, and Steve, we and Amanda, you know, I think we would all agree. We have looked into the COVID-19 abyss and we have not liked what we've seen. So to me, as we move forward, there has got to be a greater emphasis on how to live well, no matter what your circumstance is. So as you move forward, what does the future community look like? I think it's going to be a hybrid. Uh, I think it's going to be very different than what it is today, to Roger's point. You know, we were having a lot of problems before, uh, problems basically from a business standpoint where, uh, you know, people were coming in older and older with uh, more acute issues and, uh, you know, the retention issues were becoming a, a factor. Uh, so here's an opportunity to pivot and recreate the industry much quicker than where we were seeing that go. So it's yeah. a great opportunity. No, and um, just so that we're all talking the same language, when you yes. refer to like a hybrid um, in the scheme of a senior living community, uh, dive into that a little bit more. And do you have some examples of hybrid models that you feel that have um, made an impact? Well, what we've already seen it now happen, and that is, you know, going online. I think that what's going to happen is as we uh, have the vaccines, my 109-year-old grandmother, as an example, has now had both of her vaccines. Her community is 90%, uh, you know, 
um, vaccinated. So uh, at some stage, they will be able to interact with a staff that is vaccinated and so forth. But I think that they've also gone online and losing that. You don't want to lose that because that has now completely changed the complexion of connection in a different way. There were some people that weren't coming down to the wellness center, that weren't coming down to dinner or what have you. They were, you know, living their life without engagement or our definition of engagement. And, you know, now they are, they're engaged in different things, you know. So I, I think that you're going to see uh, a greater emphasis on the outdoors. So you'll have a, a greater hybrid uh, that way. You'll have a greater emphasis on technology. You'll, you know, all of these different things that will take us from one flat, uh, flat model, this is it, to something that is more interconnected. Great. Um, you can see, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, there are the hybrids are already out there, as, as absolutely Colin has mentioned them with the village movement and co-housing. And um, I've always used uh, when I was talking about the culture that uh, an older adult is looking for to thrive and have a healthy longevity. Uh, I, I was always looking for an example, and 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 the one that has worked pretty well is the whole idea of a university. So if someone were to go to a university, they're there to grow, you know, not just to be or be maintained. Yeah. They're growing intellectually, but also physically, socially, spiritually. And, and universities, for the most part, are usually, and, and I saw this in the report and I loved it, a community within a community. You know, not, in other words, there are many communities within a community. Yeah. And, uh, and, and universities tend to be, they have open gates and people go through, people go on to take courses and, and there's all kind of uh, generations there. And, uh, and I would see, uh, you know, this is a place where, where older adults could be who they have been for most of the time we've been on earth, mentors and elders and, and a place where you would go to be with them and they could come out to you. But uh, again, a community that doesn't have walls, metaphorical, real. I love it. And, and I, I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but when you brought up the but calendar, you will. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just getting you ready. But the, uh, but when you brought up the university, one of the things that I love about colleges and the neighborhood that I live in right now, the house that I'm in right now is there's no age segregation. There's no segregation at all. You can't segregate anywhere. And I'd be curious as your thoughts on, you know, as we look towards the future, and you know, how does age segregation play a role and how can we be more inclusive of all ages? Because see, I think the appealing thing of a university is anybody and everybody can take a class and walk across a campus. Whereas, you know, a 40 year old cannot move into our age segregated communities that um, that are out there. Any any thoughts on that? Amanda, you're the youngest. Why don't you say <laughs> Well, I wouldn't say it's completely not happening. It's happening here and there. I have a friend who lived in New York City and lived in a community when she was a fitness instructor there. And I know a partner of ours that had a, a, an exchange for music 
uh, lived on campus for a semester and they have a new student every year. So I have seen some of it. I just think that it can be so much bigger and so much better than it is, um, mm -hmm. including like mentioned in the report, the idea of having some uh, employees live right on campus and um, it, it, there's all kinds of potential out there. And I think it'll be really neat to see where it goes. And then the, the idea, I guess I'll also add of the community within a community, it doesn't just have to be within the, the campus of um, senior living, but partnerships with the greater community is so important. I also think to Amanda's point, you know, we will be the greater community. Uh, you know, um, uh, you will have that your community is open to all the differences. I live in my house but all the other services are available to people all around you. I mean, uh, you know, the sustainability, the financial capabilities, it just makes sense. And if you have people who are wanting to be with multiple generations, uh, you know, it makes sense too. And think about that for a second. And that is probably the organization that is best known for uh, separation in, in active adults is Del Webb, you know, we are here and, you know, there's no kids around here. Well, their next 10 communities, they're opening up uh, in 2020. They said they were going to be intergenerational communities. You look at uh, the ranch, uh, Rancho Mission Viejo in um, California, in Orange County. You know, what they've done is they've created pocket neighborhoods. So you have a whole uh, subdivision. And within that, you maybe have a section of that if you want to live uh, with other older adults, but everything else is fully integrated. I mean, I think as we look at what the model is to Roger's point, a university and self-growth, self we are at, all of our rules have been flipped back to zero. And, you know, the question now is, what are the new models? What are the new rules? What are the new industries, new programs, new products, new education and new places that people are going to want to live? And can we meet that need? It's not what we want to deliver. It's what individuals are going to want. And it's going to be very different. Bravo, bravo. That's absolutely. And sometimes we lose sight of that in any organization, what our mission really is. And it's it's about what the people want and, and really what they need. Sometimes we don't know, and I, that, that can sound a little pat, uh, patronizing, but you know, we're, we're, we humans have been hunter-gatherers for most of the time we've been on this earth. And with that came a very strong intergenerational social connection. It's how we survive and it's in our core. And so isolation later in life is, 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 uh, is an abomination. And it certainly is associated with lots of chronic disease and decline. And then the whole idea of purpose, which as I age, I'm getting more and more uh, respectful of what that means in someone's life, what gets them out of bed. That, that you know, sequestering and uh, isolating certainly shut that off, but an intergenerational, fully engaged, merged uh, social uh, uh, environment around you, that is just fuel for finding purpose and meaning. So we, whatever we do, we have to make sure that, that these core needs that we have, besides moving and using our brains, and, uh, but we have to have purpose and a, and a very strong, uh, you know, complicated to some extent to make it all happen, but uh, of, you know, fully intergenerational. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, 
Ravi Bala uh, dropped a note into chat and she sounds like she's really absorbing everything that we're saying because she says, I vote for changing the framework of senior living to engaged active living with purpose. And Ravi, one of the things that I like about that statement that you came up with, I think it's awesome, is, is that there's nothing about age associated with it. It's, yeah. you, you know, I mean, that we should, whether we're 20 or 120, engaged active living with purpose is what we all aspire to. But I, the one thing that I, I like to throw in when we use that term active is, uh, is just a reminder that okay, maybe I'm in a wheelchair because I've had health problems. I can still be active, okay? Because a lot of times we associate active with playing tennis or golf or something like that. And then when we can't do it, it's sort of like, oh, that's it, you know? Um, but I love, I love, love that statement. I think um, one of the most uh, active people I've ever seen uh, is gone now was Stephen Hawking, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a great point, Stephen. You know, when we launched the International Council on Active Aging 20 years ago, our definition was then, and it is still today, about being engaged in life in all areas. It's not about physical activity. It's not about, you know, kicking your butt. Uh, even though, you know, uh, Roger's thing about finding a way to get people out of bed, I'd love to be able to figure that one out with my younger, uh, you know, children. Um, but, it, you know, so it's about simply being engaged in life in our role has got to be a facilitator of that. You know, here, here, here you are. And if I could, and I won't digress for very long, you know, to me, one of the big things nowadays is boutique experiences in the travel industry. Um, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been traveling a lot. And you go to these boutique uh, opportunities and you have the choice of all these things that you can do if you wish. And if you want to just do nothing and do it all on your own, you can. And I think that the word choice that options and freedom all come into play. Man, this is great. Let me jump on some of these questions that are coming in here, guys. And uh, um, and if anybody has anything else to add, either just uh, raise your virtual hand or type it in. Um, uh, Jan Buchanan says, I see the ability for grassroots organizations such as villages and co-housing programs to link up with brick and mortar communities. I run a village and I see the need for a broader connection with the community, intentional hybrids. Uh, so uh, great comment there, Jan. Yeah. Great. Um, Audra Bacatis says, uh, shared housing is a good option. Hopefully it will catch on and grow. Um, I agree, um, you know, isolation, as we have said several times here already, is it's poison and and we've all got we've all got a taste of it now because you know of the quarantines and things of that nature but i think shared housing makes such good sense but i'm gonna sort of i, I i'm curious at your thoughts on this is is that i think one of the things that you know one of these battles that we we have in our field is aging in place versus making a move and one of the things that I hear a lot of is, I'm not leaving my home. 
I am not leaving my home. You know, no matter if you're completely isolated and it's not safe to live in your home, okay, is, is that when we talk about pivoting and we talk about flexibility, you know, one of the things that I think, I hope comes out of this pandemic is the consumer, you know, we as the providers need to flex and pivot, but the consumer also needs to look at the world through a wider field of vision and say, you know, I'd like to stay in my home, but what if that meant me getting a roommate or me moving to my best friend's house and we share that home? Thoughts on, on any of that? I think people stay in their homes. It's very understandable. It was a harbor when they were younger. They raised families there. They would come home. It was a beautiful place to be. They, they love their home for what happened there. But there comes a time when nothing is happening there, yeah. much to uh, you know, much to the, uh, the chagrin and the potential decline and the isolation that comes with that. Uh, social connection uh, starts to get very limited. Certainly, if a spouse dies, then you're really in trouble, you know. Yeah. And so, I think uh, that the, the consumer, and I think they will, uh, the new consumer, will say, you know, I want experience. That's what I really want is experience. You know, it's a, you know, some say it's engagement, but you know, they want experience. And if they're not getting it, I, I think that if they see an alternative that's appealing, you know, bricks and mortar and everything involved, if it's appealing, they will move. And mm -hmm. so someone, you get a lot of, I'm not ready yet in the sales offices of, of senior living, they'll be ready if, if we can do that. And so I, I totally get why someone would want to stay in their home because it's safe and because of the memories. Uh, but if they truly want a healthy longevity, they need to scare themselves a little bit and uh, get out there and get engaged. And, and hopefully we can, we can have enough, enough options for them that are appealing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and by all means, my comments were not meant to be um, pro one way or another but it's, but I think, and, and I'm saying this, I know that everybody on the panel knows is it's the audience. It's sort of like, um, it's having that flexibility and the ability to sort of look at what is best, best for you, the consumer. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, can I say one more thing quickly oh, about yeah, that? Yeah. Jump on in. Yeah. Well, I just think it, when we're thinking about future proofing senior living as it's always stood it's an all or nothing so you either move in and you get all of the resources and services and benefits of being a resident of the community or you stay at home and you don't have really any connection to it at all and I think that we're largely suggesting in this paper is that it doesn't have to be all or nothing exactly and that's really where additional revenues can come in for senior living people who want to stay in their own homes can still benefit from the culture and the resources and services that are out there. I think that that is a, a fantastic point. The other thing that we haven't really discussed are NORCs, you know, and that is naturally occurring retirement communities. And that is a, where I live is exactly one of those. Uh, you know, I'm the youngest person in my building and that's just because of, you know, it's it's a it's a nice older building. It's a nice part of town, and it, you know, people have been there for a long time. To Roger's point, but there comes a point in time also where maybe, depending on your capabilities, you're not able to stay in your home. Um, 
But to, to Amanda's point, if you do stay in your home, this is where the hybrid versions of the communities really come into play that can interact with you as well. Great. Um, I want to get back on some of these questions. Um, also, I just did glance into chat. Was there a white paper that was developed out of the five? Um, yes. Okay. Um, yep. Maybe if we could get somebody to post the link into chat for that, that would be awesome. Um, I'll drop that in just for you. Asked a question about that. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, Sant Gupta uh, says, as we get more accustomed to online interactions, will it lead to reduced importance of face-to-face -face meetings and activities? Um, interested it, on the panelists. It will though. never, never reduce the importance, never. Uh, it, it, uh, it will be an excellent substitute when we cannot have face-to-face. But uh, we as humans have a need for face-to-face. -face. This is the, a core need that we have. And anything short of that uh, falls short of what we really need. However, of course, things happen. And without technology, it, you know, if this happened 25, 30 years ago, we would have been in deep trouble. And, uh, and with and video conferencing, I mean, it's been my life. You know, I was on an airplane half my half the time of my life, and now I'm. It's about like this, and it's wonderful. It's excellent, and but it will never be a complete healthy substitute for face-to-face -face interaction, in my mind. I think there would be some great lessons to actually go back and learn from the Spanish flu. To Roger's point, where people didn't have technology. How did they engage? What were they doing? Uh, you know, um, a friend of mine, Dr. Richard Carmona, who is one of the former Surgeon Generals, uh, you know, uh, is astute in this area. And he said all in a conversation recently, he said all of the things that we're experiencing, we all experienced back then. And our responses are almost identical. The only difference is, you know, or one of the only differences is technology. Yep. God, how many died with the Spanish flu? What, uh, 60 oh. to 100 million? It yeah. worldwide. And uh, so perhaps it's helped a lot. Yes, let's hope so. Um, Eileen Wilkinson says, uh, pocket communities are great. In Northern Virginia, the land is so expensive, so first floor living is hard to find. Is there any movement to include developers in these discussions? And uh, yeah, the... Uh, Property values have certainly continued to rise even in the middle of this pandemic, but uh, thoughts on that with the space and developers and things of that nature. I'm on the advisory board of, a, of an organization, uh, which is marvelous, and I, I didn't know it existed until they, they invited me to come speak, and uh, they're called the Center for Health Design. And uh, initially they focused on, and still do focus on healthcare environments, hospitals and clinics and things. But more and more with the demographic, they have been focusing and uh, on uh, senior living and uh, senior living as an industry, bricks and mortar wise, but also senior living in general. So uh, with, with people of their caliber and they have architects, designers, city planners, everything involved in that organization. Uh, I believe that people are becoming aware of this. Uh, uh, I think the developers uh, certainly uh, want to build something where they're going to get a good return on their investment. So somehow we have to, uh, to make that appealing to them also. But uh, I don't know. Any thoughts? Anyone else? I think that that's a great point, Roger, and that is that people will not buy something they don't want. So, uh, you know, if you are producing things 
uh, you know, just think about Polaroid. After a while, the people just stopped buying it because you could do everything with a digital camera. So, you know, you need to be able to adjust to the marketplace. You know, the greatest generation was was pleased with anything that you gave them. They were they were they were about the greater good, and it wasn't about me. And uh, and a lot of us were raised by those people, but it's different now. And so, really, you cannot expect someone to say, "Well, they mean that's my only option." Yeah. I remember when I was overseas in third world countries, uh, we'd go to get some food. There was only one option for a, a milk or whatever. And, and so that's the way it's been. But uh, that's unacceptable now. So, again, I, I think the industry will pivot once again to make sure that they realize that the, 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 certainly what are the core things for health and uh, that and for most of this new generation, this new older adult, but also multiple options, because, again, people are different. Amanda, I, I'm really curious because you were right there with the residents of senior living, you know, and and, and, and the greatest generation. But, you know, from a, from a workforce standpoint of you being one of, uh, one of the associates working in these, uh, you know, what did you see and then, and what are you seeing now? Have you seen a big shift? And sorry, Steve, I'm, I'm asking a question. But... Oh, I love it. No, this is what I want. <laughs> this is my dream come true. Okay. A, sh a shift in terms of. So you, you dealt with uh, when you were an associate working in a senior living community and there was a certain ilk of older adult there, okay, certain kind of person. And mm -hmm. you're now dealing with communities uh, some, you know, 10, 15 years later. Have you seen a, a, a major shift in, in that? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know that I have never, I know that we talk a lot about a sh the shift and we talk a lot about the new older adult, but I think um, to Colin's point a little bit earlier, I think even right before the pandemic, the large majority of people that were moving into communities were doing it because they needed it right now. Um, and something was forcing them. I will say even 15 years ago, um, and I would say anyone who works in senior living would say this, you can't, I can't tell you how many residents had come up to me and said, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? Yeah. So it's like, once they get in and they move in, they realize the benefits of that, the social connections and the ability to have experiences and all of the above, but there's some disconnect in that communication where it's really hard to, to get that out to the prospective senior living resident. Um, you know, I, I, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, yeah, I, I know we're getting close to the top of the hour, so I want to run through a few of these questions, but we'll, we'll keep on going here. But uh, Pamela Mills uh, has a question comment here. Services need to be cross-cultural, cross-socioeconomic, and cross-capability options are attainable. I, I wanted to throw that out to the panel because we haven't talked about affordability. And uh, I, I love the idea of sort of blending age and ability and income levels too. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think that, uh, you know, the communities need to be a better reflection of society in general. They're not, uh, you know, they're highly uh, Caucasian based. Uh, and, you know, the income is relatively uh, high or a moderate, uh, a moderate. Uh, you know, I think the whole conversation about, 
the middle market, which is a, a hot topic right now, also needs to consider what do we really mean by middle market? You know, if we're talking about middle market, are we talking about providing all the different care options that we are because those cost money? Or is it that we are trying to attract people younger, healthier, uh, and because of that, the services that we're offering are very different as is the cost around those services. So maybe we are able to attract that segment to the population and attract them younger, keep them healthier for longer and so forth. So I think that, uh, you know, where, where we end up is still unknown, uh, but affordability is gonna be front and center for some, no matter what business you're in, that's just the reality. Hotels have affordability issues. The, the Regis versus Motel 6, uh, you know, it's who your client is, who your target is in building your business around that. One of the trends that's happening, very exciting in senior living is the appearance of the for-profits. And yes. most of these for-profits are from the real estate uh, field. And uh, so they're bringing, uh, I think they're, they're pushing the not-for-profits and they're bringing a, a, new, uh, a new view of uh, certainly intergenerational, because they have been doing intergenerational housing, uh, uh, appealing uh, premises, and, and they're very strategic in, uh, in, in their marketing. And so they, they wanna make sure that uh, they have a brand promise and they deliver on it and they know what's necessary. So I think what will come from that because of their real estate uh, background is this uh, affordability, uh, intergenerational, mix of, uh, of ethnic mixes. And, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that, th that they coming into this industry is going to help the entire industry, the not-for-profits as well as the for-profits. And I think the choices that are available. Yeah. And as we said earlier there, Roger, and that is, you know, if you were opening up your community to the outside and a lot of the services that were revenue neutral, or uh, being run as a loss are now profit centers, you know, your model completely changes. And now what you're really selling is your property for someone to live in and everything else pays for itself. So you can become more attractive to a greater diverse uh, group of individuals as well. Yeah, and again, I think the <laughs> will jump onto that too. I think they'll see that. And so it'll be, there'll be a nice uh, sort of uh, whirlpool of mixing that's going on there. No, I, I love it. Uh, let's see, Alondro, uh, who's a social gerontologist and certified health coach, has created um, intergenerational uh, programs nationwide and asks, uh, or makes the comment, corporate culture must change first to really move forward. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, any, any thoughts on sort of the, the corporate culture and the challenges in achieving some of the things we're talking about? I think it comes down to what we've been talking about, that there's a shift, there's a seismic shift going on uh, that was accelerated by the pandemic, but it, it has been happening driven by the demographic 
driven by technology, driven by expectations of, of what I want this third chapter, which is now longer with longevity. So all of those things are coming together to, to, to make significant uh, changes that are there. And, uh, and, and I, I believe that uh, they will happen. Now, corporate culture, um, we know that can be intransigent. You know, it can be uh, traditional. It can be uh, stodgy. Uh, but it also can be uh, exciting. And we, we know who survives in, the, in today's corporate world. I think those who are nimble, those who are attentive, those who listen, and those who are, are meeting the need. So I believe that we'll, we'll see significant shifts. But one of the predictions uh, coming out of Ziegler, uh, some of their trends uh, that are coming, we feel, and look out CEOs, uh, there's going to be a big shift in CEOs, uh, which I think will be a, a reflection of a big shift in, in the, the whole pulse and, and, and the whole dynamic of corporate world. Right. And if I could just add into that, uh, you know, once again, uh, you know, uh, using the words of Socrates, and that is the secret of change is to focus all your energy, not in fighting the old, but in building the new. And that's really what we need to focus on is, you know, not fight the old model. You know, it depends who you speak to. A lot of people love the old model and a lot of people think it needed to be blown up. Uh, we need to put our energy into building the new model. Great. Um, I posted into chat uh, Cheryl Bartholomew's comment um, it, on, on a project that she's working with in Montana where it's Montana State University and age-friendly Bosman are designing an age-friendly, universally designed intergenerational community center. And she comments on, you know, partnering with the city for the land and developing age-friendly homes. Like the, the whole community and partnership thing, you know, really is one step to changing the future. I, I think any any town, city, urban, or uh, more rural area that that wants to be uh, to stay lively and dynamic and attract people are going to have to do those things. Mm -hmm. I'd like to hear more about that. I want an excuse to go to Bozeman again, and uh, <laughs> but I, I would really. That sounds very exciting, and I think uh, along the lines of the kind of things pilots that uh, that have to be happening. Yeah, and, and that's a good segue as we wind down here. Um, first off, to the audience, I'll be sharing all of our panelists' contact info so that it, you can reach out to them um, and we can keep this dialogue going. I, I'd really, I'm gonna sort of close on a masterpiece because I wanna invite you guys back and let's dive in a little bit more. But the first question that, sort of popped onto our screen was, does Masterpiece work with any aging at home clients or are you solely um, uh, based in senior living communities? We have been with senior living, but for the last year or so we have, uh, we have been uh, pivoting, there it is again, uh, to be uh, more accessible to anyone in their homes over the internet. And uh, it'll probably be towards the end of the year that we have, we, uh, we have designed that so that it's, uh, we can, we can launch it, uh, but we've come a long way. And uh, so 
uh, that would be an area anyone, wherever they live, uh, would be able to uh, be able to assess their lifestyle, uh, have access to content, coaching, data, track their performance. And so it was a very personalized experience. So again, it would not, no matter who you are, how old you are, actually, that would, so that that's coming later in the year. Great. Well, as we kind of close, I want to thank you guys for making it. I want to thank the audience for so, such great comments and questions. And I'll give you guys the opportunity to make some closing statements. And then, like I said, we'll make the recording available. We'll put it on podcast. We'll give you the contact info and we'll share all the, uh, the chat comments so that you can follow up with some of the other attendees. And, and, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to applaud the uh, Colin for, for, for doing this regularly. This wasn't just a one-off. He's been doing it for some time. He's a major connector. He's like the, a big interstate uh, you know, mixing bowl of, of things and, and, and international. So I want to thank him for doing that because of that we're talking today. So thanks, Colin. Yeah. Thank you, Roger. Now, Colin, and, uh, what do you have going on like for our audience? Well, like what, what are there some more things? How can we get more involved with your organization? Well, you know, uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but we have 10,000 senior living communities that belong to us. Um, and we are always open and embracing anyone that's interested in focusing on aging well. In, in my mind, aging well is the next normal. We've seen what we don't want, and we are going to have a hyper focus on what we do want. And, um, you know, we are all embracing of individuals and organizations that want to support that uh, vision. And, you know, thankfully, um, you know, Raja and Amanda have been part of that for many, many years. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, Steve and um, your folks, we'd love to embrace you as part of that uh, initiative as well. Great. I just put the link to your website there and folks can see some of the, um, uh, programming that you've got coming up around around the bend. So, Just say uh, Drew sent you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that, I want to thank everybody and uh, uh, really good thoughts today and look forward to connecting with you all in the future. Steve, thanks for what you do. This is great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much, Steve. Thank Appreciate you so it. Much. Thank you, Roger and Amanda. Yeah. Thank you, Colin. Take care. Be safe. Be safe.